3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey I'm Kramer! Welcome to Mad Money! Welcome to Kramer America. Other people make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The Bears. The Bears. They always get the Benefit of the damn. they just sound so much smarter than the bulls don't they and we always treat the bulls as lightweights drives me nuts how the bears are treated with such reference when for decades they've given the absolute worst advice but they will almost never admit it they know. So in a day when the Dow gained 152 points, S&P advanced 0.37%, that's that like decline 0.05%. I think it's worth asking why so many people in this industry act like the bears are the only ones with gravitas. The only ones who really have something to say worth trusting. First off, it, it's easy to find super rich, super smart bears because they're naturally the most risk averse group of investors. They've already made their money, so they have no need to take any risks. You only need to get rich once, right? Those bearish billionaires can afford to have total contempt for the stock market, probably where they made most of the money. And why the heck would they want to invest in something that could go down and down a lot rather than parking their money in, say, municipal bonds? They are asymmetrical in their approach. The truly rich, and I mean the mega rich, tend to worry about only one threat, and that's inflation. Anything else they can live with but inflation erodes the value of their billions of dollars. In particular, they're afraid of wage inflation because it means they have to pay people more. Someone making $15 an hour pre-pandemic might be making $30 now. That's actually the prices. I remember what it was like to live out of my car. An extra 15 bucks an hour is life-changing. But from the perspective of business owners, those higher wages cut into their margins. The inflationists love to argue that the real victims here are people who work for a living because so many of the goods they buy get more expensive. Oh, they're the victims. However, that's canceled out by higher wages. Call me crazy. I think a strong labor market is good for workers. The problem is the bears have the strategic ability to grab the mic by virtue of the fact that so many of them are super rich and therefore are adulated by the media. And I think many of the wealthy, wittingly or unwittingly, are pulling up the ladder behind them by scaring you away from the stock market with horror stories about the dangers of inflation lurking everywhere. But it's more than that. They're also scaring you away from some of the best stocks in the market that really don't have anything to do with inflation at all. It's a group that I'm now calling TAN, that's right, TAN, Tesla, Amazon, and Netflix. Originally, I wanted to go with Ant, but that's also a huge fintech company in China with a stillborn stock. It means President Xi thinks they're too powerful. I tossed around that, too, but that sounded too much like Nordic-American tanker, one of the great stock disasters of our time. Well, the CEO is endlessly hopeful that tanker rates will go up, so the company will be in Clover instead of Bilge. So, TAN it is. I picked Tesla, Amazon, and Netflix because while I don't consort with hedge funds, typically, the few times they've reached out to me invariably involved these three stocks and how they were going to zero. And by the way, you know exactly who I'm talking about when I say that you told me it's going to zero, you losers. Now, regardless of how you feel about Tesla's strong numbers tonight, and they were, don't worry, people are going to say they're not. I've, I've dealt with those clowns. Or Netflix's numbers last night, oh, those were week two. Yet, yeah, price target raised by 10 firms, more on that later. Or even Amazon's report last, uh, next week. It's obvious that none of these stocks went to zero. If anything, they did the opposite. Because these are some of the most successful companies of all time. And they deserve to be. Yet rich and powerful people spent years coming on air, Talking trash about all three. Amazon? Oh, just a Ponzi scheme. A company borrowing billions to become a national bookseller. I mean, how how could that not end, Bailey? Turns out they borrowed billions to become the world's best run retailer with a huge cloud infrastructure business that's so good, even its competitors use it. We had the head of Amazon Web Services on the show last week and his division is so incredible. It can calculate numbers and patterns so quickly that Moderna used their platform to crack the code of COVID when they were coming up with a vaccine. Thanks to Amazon Web Services, they could do it in a few minutes rather than a few months. So much for a bookseller. How about Netflix? All right, this one was so easy to hate. A company that mails you DVDs and, and then it wants to be something else. It's a, it's a record club, a, a business that's even more antiquated than movie rentals. Then Netflix levers up, oh, even worse, and decides to sell other people's content via subscription over the Internet. Really expensive content. Even after the streaming service took the world by storm, the skeptics were everywhere, whining about how Netflix was burning money, paying for programming. In the end, they disrupted the entire entertainment business, though. These days, none of the smart money guys who shorted Netflix will ever admit to it on air, other than to say, oh, they got out in time, which I'm sure they didn't. That leaves me with Tesla. In my time, I've heard a lot of people talk trash about a lot of stocks, but I can't recall many that were as derided as Tesla. I've heard everything at the sales were juiced by tax credits. It can't make payroll. There's still a lot in the parking lot. It's all ledger to men. The cars blow up. Must go into jail. These sure sounded like good reasons to short a stock, at least if they were true. But they were bogus, and shorting Tesla turned out to be financial suicide. Why? Because like Amazon, with its incredible service, it's widely underpriced. Like Netflix, with tremendous breadth of entertainment, also ridiculously underpriced. Tesla offers an engineering marvel, a tech machine on wheels whose time has come. Now, I can count on one hand the billionaires I know who ever recommended an individual stock that they, didn't, uh, that they don't already have a gigantic position or just talk in their book. Hey, one of the reasons I like Nelson Peltz, by the way, who was on Scotty and me at halftime to celebrate Watt 10th anniversary, is that he doesn't think like a rich person. Peltzing's like a young person, like someone who's still trying to make money. Somehow, he's still hungry and hungry for you. Hey, by the way, so's David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, who is still trying to help the little guy with insight and humility. That guy's pure joy. But aside from those few notables, frankly, you don't want to take your cue from super rich money managers, super rich investors, super rich owners. Do you think it's a coincidence that so many hedge fund guys made giant bets against TAN and lost? I don't think so. The people behind those companies wanted to create wealth for their shareholders. They were willing to take huge risks for you in order to help you get rich along with themselves. If you held their stocks for long, that's exactly what you did. That's huge for the vast majority of people. But if you've already got a billion dollars, it's meaningless, which is why they have no appreciation for these companies or their evangelical leaders. The bottom line, it's time to end this ridiculous parade of bearish billionaires who have been negative for ages, being allowed to come on air and say everything they want about how bad things are, uh, even as you've made so much more money being positive than they have in the last few years. You can't take investment advice from oligarchs, no matter how smart they sound, because they have a very different set of priorities and a very different agenda from you. And we need to stop pretending otherwise. Quentin in Georgia. Quentin. Jim, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, so all right. What's going uh, I, on, Quentin?
4: Well, I uh, actually, Jim, uh, just went to uh, Palm Springs this past weekend and I uh, was in the airport and I had this epiphany when I saw about 80 percent of the travelers wearing uh, Lululemon. Um, I know it's a great company, great management. It's got great pricing power. Uh But I wanted to get your take on supply chain and also the price of cotton. Well, look, it's a good question
3: about supply chain. They've been very open about it and whatever problems they've had. And cotton, I know everyone's figured out about cotton, but cotton is not a reason to sell loo. I will say this. This group is out of favor right now. But the loo is the first one to buy. If it were to come down, say, below 400, I would buy some. Kim in Virginia. Kim. Hi, Jim. Thanks for
0: taking my
3: call. My pleasure. What's up?
0: Yes, um, I have a question about Micron and
3: 2.6. Well, here's the issue with Micron. I spoke with Sanjay Marotra today, the CEO, and every analyst in the book seems to decide that that thing is shot. And I think Mr. Marotra and I believe it isn't. I think there's three, four points down and a lot rest up. Uh, and it's much more than just DRAMs, for heaven's sake, and flash. Now, those two categories are going down in price, which means a DRAM, that MU will have a hard time making, them, making the quarter, which means it's not going up from here. But the, the big bet against it going down, I think, doesn't make sense at this level. All right. The bears always seem to get the better for the doubt, no matter how stupid they are. But please remember, bearish billionaires have a different set of priorities than most of us And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're smart. Sometimes they were lucky. So be careful taking advice from them without thinking about that. Well, everybody, tonight, as the world reopens, Qualtrics is plans to help businesses digitize and improve experience management. Doesn't sound like you know it. Don't worry, I'll explain it. So I'm checking in with the company's top brass to learn more about the mission. Then Netflix reported last night after the bell and the quarter was anything but chill. But right after today's post earnings slump, I'm breaking down if it might be worth buying into weakness. Then Hayes Celestial has clawed back from its late August lows. Done and then some. But right after the recent run, is it time to take a bite of the natural and organic stock? I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card.
2: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
3: Look at the stock of Qualtrics International go after the close. When this experience management software, don't worry, we're going to explain that in a second, the company was spun off by SAP earlier this year. The stock quickly popped to the mid-50s before plunging to the mid-30s a couple months later. I always thought Qualtrics had a great story, especially at a time when companies are desperate to retain workers in the face of labor shortages. Qualtrics does experience management for both customers and for employees. Suddenly, the latter's is a lot more valuable. Now, when these guys reported after the close tonight, they shot the lights out, beating expectations on every line and substantially raising the full year forecast. They even gave you a surprise profit. Stock's been on the upswing for a few months, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is just beginning. So let's take a closer look. Ryan Smith, he's the founder and executive chairman of Qualtrics. And Zig Serafin, he's the CEO. Gentlemen, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to see you. Thanks, Jim. Good to have Thank- you. OK, so, yeah, so great to be on again, Jim. I'm um, so glad you guys are here. We got a topic that I know that you guys have more input on than anybody. So let me start with using. We're gripped with a, a moment in the pandemic where a lot of people, a lot of CEOs want to know what the right thing to do is, both for their employees and for the customers, uh, it, for vaccination, for mandated. Some people call it requiring. But you know what? It's Difficult region by region, person by person. To say, what do you are able to pull or tell people? I know you guys don't do the surveys; those are out. That make it so that managers know what to do to get whatever is the right thing done. Well, thanks, Jim,
1: and I'm going to let uh, Ryan expand here a little bit. But just let me just start off just by highlighting a little bit about what's in our numbers. Q3, as you pointed out, it was an outstanding quarter for Qualtrics. You know what's driving this? is that we're helping organizations capture, analyze, and then act on the data that they can't get anywhere else. And this is experience data and this is just golden. And that's what's driving our results. I'm really proud of Q3 in particular because we had 49% subscription growth. We had 125% net retention rate. And what's going on behind this is more and more organizations are prioritizing investing in an experience transformation. They're doing it on Qualtrics, and that's because every company out there is competing for their customers in a world where switching costs are close to zero, but they're also competing for the best talent, especially mm-hmm. in light of the great resignation. And so we're helping organizations deliver on personalized experiences. They're building deeper relationships at scale by understanding the people who matter most, which are their customers right. and the employees. And so these are relationships that are built on understanding not putting information into a database. It's, 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 you know, that's what people want. They want great experiences that keep you coming back for more. That's what experience management is becoming. And that's why it's becoming just as critical as a CRM system or as an HR system for a company. Yes, Ryan, I, I, why don't you elaborate a little bit on vaccines? Yeah, because
3: I mean, the reason I just started with the vaccines is because I want people to understand that experience management means, well, trying to figure out what people want. It's a, it's a catch-all title. But in this particular case, which is gripping the country, you guys really are the only single source of truth about what to do. And what is that single source? And how do you get it, Ryan? Yeah. So first, thanks uh, to our incredible team and our customer base.
4: Man, if you go back 20 years when we started this company out of nothing, uh, it would have been a a dream to be in the experience world and to be at the forefront of such an exciting time where experience is truly becoming the currency, Jim it's the currency of business and everyone's starting to realize that there's not a CEO that I don't talk to from George from CrowdStrike to Tim Cook, where everyone's going into this new world where they're saying, first of all, it was a lot easier to send people home than to bring them back to work. And there's a premium on getting it right. So what we're seeing is organizations mess up in a couple different ways to start there is they're trying to guess where people are at in the journey on wanting to come back, where they are in their vaccine decision-making. And reality is that guesswork doesn't need to exist. You can actually use Qualtrics, you can measure, you can gauge the experience, and then understand as a leader or leadership teams, how to actually bring people back based on the information you have and predict what's going to happen when you do that. Because getting people back into the building or developing your new future of work, whatever that is, is just the first step. Most of the time in product and innovation, people get it wrong. So it's really important that we're measuring and we're understanding the impact of the decisions we make and pulling people back into this new future, because there's not a company that's been through this before. So the data doesn't exist. I've always said that if the data
3: exists, you Google it. If it doesn't exist, you got to Qualtrics it. Well, I, I like that verb. Zig. One of the things that is, I think, our viewers are trying to figure out right now is, well, that's impossible. I mean, how can you, with an amazing acquisition like Clarabridge, how can you determine that a that a, a call with a customer is not going well or something needs to be done? What kind of algorithm? What needs to be? And I keep telling people, look, when you look at what Qualtrics does, when you go to the site, they measure and quantify things that you didn't think could be measured or quantified. I think this Clarebridge acquisition. It is precisely the kind of thing that people are trying to figure out. Wow, they, the customer service is better than I thought. If you go through that acquisition, it'll really help people understand why Qualtrics' number is so superb.
1: Yeah, Jim, look, we, we acquired a company, Clarabridge, as you pointed out, a little over a billion dollar acquisition. You know, it's a game changer. Let me, let me give some context on this. So, look, we first, you know, Qualtrics built the world's most powerful platform to ask people questions at the right time. But we know that people are sharing feedback everywhere, indirectly, right? They're, they're sharing it in support conversations, they're sharing it in chat, they're sharing it in social media posts, product reviews, dozens of other places. So now Qualtrics can give our customers the best of both worlds. You can harness the indirect and the direct feedback, not just the words that people are using, but also the emotion and the intent. Let me give you an example of that. There's a airline customer who we have who's getting a let's say an error message when they're trying to change a flight on the mobile app. So when they call into the customer service, Clarabridge identifies the context of the conversation, the frustration that might be in the caller's words and the tone. And then Qualtrics identifies them as a premium flyer. And then with these insights, Clarabridge is able to trigger a free upgrade certificate to the user's account. So that's a combination of Qualtrics and Clarabridge working there right within the mobile app. So most importantly, If this turns out to be a common experience, Clarabridge can alert the company to the larger issue, provide the detailed information, and Qualtrics helps to action that through our workflow system in the experience management platform.
3: I just I love this. I mean, when you and by the way, a lot of this is available on the website. You can see they actually have transcripts of of a call where someone's like too heated and someone the breath is too breathless, and there's a, a moment in the call that where there's a breakup, and you can tell the customer's angry and frustrated. Now, I, Ryan, it's all of these great things. Since I've seen you last, you picked up some very very big customers, big visible customers who are happy to talk about what you do. Like Doordash has been just a, a big find for you guys, right?
4: It, it truly has. And, it, and, you know, we've been on for a, a couple quarters talking about different industries. And, um, you know, if you look at DoorDash, we were powering the customer experience for DoorDash, you know, really through the pandemic. And, you know, they, they had incredible growth. And, and Tony's, uh, uh, you know, been close to us on this side where they've been able to be nimble to adjust their offering from and through the customer experience. But what we're seeing is a broader trend where now, People are saying, wait a minute, I can have my customer experience on the exact same platform that I'm running all of my employee experience with the great resignation and everything that's going on. People are starting to standardize on Qualtrics from wall to wall. And in Georgia, CrowdStrike, I I want to ask you you
3: about George. We had George on last week. I know you're close to CrowdStrike. That's a big customer win for you guys.
4: Well, yeah. And and, and look, what we're seeing is both DoorDash and CrowdStrike. These are the future companies of the world. Like these are the innovative companies and they're saying, hey, look, whether we're going from multiple products to, to single products to multiple products, whether we're, um, you know, trying to understand what our experience is in the market. If you look in George's case, they're hiring an, uh, a, a bunch of people. They're in hyper growth mode. They've got to hire the world security experts. Getting right. that right is important and having a conversation and a dialogue with your people, with your constituents at scale is really only possible through Qualtrics. and so." This is what we're seeing. This is why the growth is what it is. And people are saying, hey, this system, this platform that is experience management that Qualtrics is offering is as critical as anything else we have in the business. Well, I got to tell you, I think you guys, your you're,
3: you're, you're hitting it out of the park. I, I mean, there's so many new customers I'd love to talk about. I know you're at NBA, you know, you are in the Jazz or co-own, but good luck with you guys. You want Ben Simmons? I, I can make that happen. Um, hey, I, I, we're, I, I, we're tipping off. We're tipping off tonight. It's a great
4: start. We've been helping the NBA and a lot of the teams get people and fans back into the building, which
3: is um, similar to their fat. experience. We love the NBA. So we love it. Yep. We love you guys. Congratulations. I mean, I really think Zing Seraphin. It is great to see you, CEO Ryan Smith. Best of luck tonight, Chairman. Uh, and again, I'm doing it. Qualtrics on the 76ers, and it keeps coming out that Ben Simmons is angry. Maybe you can help me there. Uh, because uh, it's way over my pay That's grade. Jim. Thank you, gentlemen. Great work <laughs> today. Thank you, Fantastic. To have Fantastic.
5: Everybody's back after the break. Coming up, this dream team of streaming reported a blockbuster quarter. Don't miss Kramer's take on where Netflix is going from here. Next,
0: when you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
3: Why did the stock of Netflix get slammed today even though it reported a seemingly excellent quarter last night? Well, why does anything sell off on good earnings? Usually it's because the stocks run too much going into the numbers. From the end of July through last night's close, Netflix had valued more than 23 percent, making it the best performer in Fang by a 4 to 1 margin. Remember, the stock spent the first six months of the year trading sideways as Wall Street dumped the stay-at-home entertainment names and swapped into reopening plays. But that meant Netflix was like a coiled spring if we got any good news from them. And starting during the summer, we got tons of it. This is one of those few companies that really benefit from the Delta variant because it meant people were stuck at home again. Plus, there was a ton of excitement about Netflix's current lineup. They've got the rights to Seinfeld about three weeks ago, and they've had a stunning success with Squid Game, the South Korean sensation that cost them next to nothing to make. But when everybody's excited about a stock, that raises the expectations, which is why so many people sold the news today, even though I generally like the quarter, and 11 different firms raised their price target. Okay, not perfect, still very strong. So when I see Netflix down nearly $14 today, I think you should buy this dip because this story is just too good to ignore. You're getting a second chance. All right. Now, look, the headline numbers were solid, although they're not the most important piece of the puzzle. While Netflix gave you the inline revenue number, their earnings came in much higher than expected. They made $3.19 per share. Wall Street was looking for only $2.56. Remember, we just looked for losses and nothing else from these guys. However, the real key metric here has always been subscriber growth. These numbers stalled earlier this year, which is one of the reasons the stock had such terrible underperformance. Management spent a lot of time talking about how COVID has pulled forward demand, meaning they had tons of signups last year. And that's eaten into their ability to bring in more people this year. The last time Netflix reported they had 1.5 million net subscriber additions, which was better than expected, but only because management had given you a very cautious forecast the previous quarter. This time, though, they had a spectacular 4.4 million net subscriber editions worldwide. That's much, much better. What's changed? All right. In his letter to shareholders, CEO Reed Hastings gave you a compelling explanation. There was a COVID gap. Last year, they still had tons of new content from, B, from before the pandemic. But in the first half of this year, those COVID-related production delays meant that they had less exciting new programming. Remember, they didn't even talk about interesting programs at the end of the quarter. Now they sure did again. It's, it, it, that, all those problems are in the rearview mirror, and it's boosting their subscriber numbers. That said, there's one caveat here. The bulk of Netflix's new subscribers came from the rest of the world. The U.S. and Canada were basically flat versus last quarter, while Europe and Middle East Africa and Asia-Pacific, all tremendous growth. I don't love that the business seems to be topping out in North America, but I prefer to take a glass-half-full approach because Netflix is absolutely killing it overseas, and they want to be a worldwide company. They are a worldwide company. When you look at their top-performing shows this quarter, so many of them are international. You had Money Heist and Sex Education, the Spanish and British, the Money Heist everybody loves. I had a hard time with it, frankly. And of course, there's the South Korean Squid Game, which was at least sampled by two-thirds of Netflix's subscriber base. According to the shareholder letter, Netflix is now producing its own local programming in 45 different countries, and their platform allows them to take that programming global. Squid Game only came out last month, and it's already their number one show in 94 different countries, including the U.S. This one's big enough that they're even doing merchandising with Squid Game products on their way to retail as we speak. A little ironic given that the show's a pretty scathing critique of late-stage capitalism, but these days we can monetize anything, can't we? I think they've got a brilliant formula here. They spend a little money producing shows that are very popular in their home countries. Then every so often, one of those shows turns into a global sensation and they make a fortune. Ugly duckling here, swan there. All that said, the numbers weren't perfect. In particular, Netflix gave you another cautious forecast for the next quarter, with management merely reiterating their new subscriber guidance. It's hard to get a read on this because they're usually pretty conservative. But it's worth noting that the analysts all turned on Disney for an alleged slowing in Disney. Plus, they didn't see that at Netflix. By the way, the charitable Trust owns Disney. We've been putting out pieces for Investment Club regularly. You should read them. We think it's the right place to buy. So what's the right way to evaluate this thing? Like I said, this has been a subscriber growth story for over a decade. But over the next few years, that could change as Netflix is running out of room to expand in North America. Going forward, I think Wall Street will increasingly focus on monetization. Companies' margins have been on the upswing. And on the conference call, CFO Spencer Newman said that they plan to grow their margins at roughly three percentage points per year on a multi-year basis. That's extraordinary. Now, Netflix also has plans to branch out beyond streaming video, and if they can pull it off, hey, they're going to have a much larger total addressable market. For example, over the summer, they started making investments in video games. They even bought their own studio. This is a longer-term project that could take many years to play out, but their goal is to take over gaming the same way they've taken over TV. On the call, they mentioned how all sorts of Squid Games content's been popping up on Roblox. That's a platform where people can basically design their own games. And it sure sounds like they want a piece of that action. Really cool if they bought Roblox. Not going to happen. Which brings me to the next piece of, of the pie. Merchandising. They're putting together fan events like Disney, and they're, sell, they're working on selling little tchotchkes for their most popular content. Sly. So it's, this is swag. Now, let me tell you, I don't really like that idea. Uh, but, you know, Hastings mused about how in three years, when the next Sensationally Squid Games come out, they want to have related gaming options as well as consumer products that they could sell right out of the gate. I guess so. Again, just like Disney. I like it. I'd rather have them license it. Of course, not everyone agrees. Deutsche Bank hit the stock with a downgrade today from buy to hold, although that was mostly valuation call. They actually liked the quarter and they sounded fairly bullish about subscriber growth the next quarter. But they think it's already baked in given the 25 percent run since mid-August. I think that's wrong. The quarter was a wake up call for anyone who was sleeping on Netflix's international business. As for the stock's recent rally, you got to remember that was just playing catch up to fang. The bottom line, when you see Netflix pulling back after a very robust set of numbers and lots of price target boosts, where management laid out a compelling long term strategy, you need to look at it as a gift. A gift to buy, not sell. Angelo in Pennsylvania. Angelo. Hey, Jim. Angelo.
4: With this stock cost over its 50-day moving average and earnings due on the 26th, is it time to get a position started on Twitter?
3: I'm worried about Twitter. Um, you see, by the way, that there's stories, of course, that PayPal may be buying Pinterest. That's because Pinterest is sweet. I think Twitter's gotten to be, uh, frankly, just too nasty, too ugly, too vicious, too horrible, too nightmares, too dis- disgusting. Otherwise, it's okay. Look at a Netflix pullback as a gift. It is. It's just a gift. Don't don't stare at it. Take it. Now, much more demand. Including my Susan with Haynes Celestial. This one's interesting. Package food company demand. Uh, is waning except for these guys. I'm going to get a read on the space for the CEO. Then we have a battle between the stay-at-home stocks and the going-out stocks. So I'm discussing which core could prevail as the country continues to reopen, and I think you can make you some money. Plus, all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. At a moment where everyone's worried that the packaged food companies could just get torn to pieces by inflation, and it is rampant, some of these stocks have managed to roar by taking matters in their own hands. Take Hain Celestial. That's the organic and natural house of brands you might recognize as Celestial Seasonings, Earth's Best, Garden of Eden, Health Valley, Alba Botanica, and Avalon Organics, among many others, although certainly fewer than when we used to have them one. When Hain reported in late August, the stock sold off hard. As their sales came in, we could then expect it. management spent a lot of time talking about inflationary pressures. But by late last month, though, the stock had erased all of its losses and then some. Then management held a very bullish investor meeting, really good. It's on tape. You can listen to it. You can watch it. Where they rolled out some very achievable long-term growth and margin targets. That helped push the stock up to its highest level since March. Maybe the key here is that Haynes got a powerful turnaround story that trumps anything about inflation. They're trimming the fat, and they're in the focus for years. These efforts have, are now paying off. So could the stock have room to run? Let's check in with Mark Schiller. He is an old, old hand in this business, a turnaround artist, and he's president CEO of Hain Celestial. Get a better sense of where his company's headed, but also where it's been. Mr. Schiller, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right. So, sir, a lot of people are tuning in only knew of Hain Point 1.0. 1.0, uh, growth at any cost, <laughs> complexity encouraged, growth driven by MA. productivity deprioritized, all brands equal. Uh, We've now done HANE 2.0, where you got profit growth simplification, divest for coherence, uh, productivity for profit, and now we're in HANE 3.0. And I think HANE 3.0 is very exciting, and I want you to tell us about it.
6: Sure. So we we are um, moving from a phase where we really were resetting the foundation and uh, turning from a holding company into an operating company. And now we're going back to focusing on profitable growth. And we are uh, you'll remember we've sold off 23 out of 55 brands over the last two years. And so we have a very um, strong portfolio of brands and the brands that we've targeted for growth, which are about 80% of our profits and 75% of our sales, they're growing about 15 to 20% on it a, on a, versus the pre pandemic. And even on a one year basis, they're growing double digits. So there's terrific brands in high growth categories uh, and we are very well positioned. And so we're excited about the growth potential. We're now moving back to investing and uh, trying to turbocharge that top line profitably.
3: All right. Let's take a case study. Uh, a brand that a lot of people know. Uh, uh, EarthBest, where was it three years ago and where is it now?
6: So EarthBest was our biggest brand when I got here three years ago and it had a 2 percent EBITDA margin. Uh, so it was a huge brand that made no money. Uh, because it had been overextended. So we proactively exited a whole number of segments. Um, We were in pizza bites and chicken nuggets and diapers and wipes, and we we consolidated to the core business. Uh, We worked on price size architecture. We worked on renegotiating some of our contracts, and we grew the margins a thousand basis points over two years, which now made it much more worthy of investment. And so now we've started innovating, We've started adding marketing dollars and the business since March of this year has been up over 20 percent now that we're investing again. So you've got a very profitable business with very high growth, where before you had a stagnant business with no profitability. So it's a really good kind of poster child of what the strategy was intended to do. And we're now going to extend that to a lot of other brands.
3: When I look at what I like, I like baby food. I like snacks that don't make me fat. And I like plant based meat. Now that had been a category that was kind of one of I not know one of five hundred in the old days, but you've emphasized this thing's going to work. You can do it. You can
6: blow it out worldwide, right? Yeah, and so what people don't don't know is we have um, a, a very large brand, Linda McCartney, which is Paul McCartney's family uh, in the UK. That brand's thirty years old, so we've been in plant-based meat there for thirty years, and in Canada we have the Eves brand, which is also a thirty-year-old brand. So. We were pioneers in this category, and it's a double-digit growth category. So, very well positioned there, and also very well positioned in um, non-dairy beverages in Europe, which is growing like crazy, and we are very, very well positioned.
3: Well, I mean, the non-dairy is amazing. I mean, a lot of people. I remember when your predecessor came in, you would have there. They would have like coconut milk, and then but also would have like some I don't know something made of oats, and then there would be like a yogurt. But in reality, I mean, there is method to the madness as you got it now. Non-dairy is gigantic and only one company, Oatly, is doing it right. And then you guys come Within your company is, is, is five Oatlys.
6: Yeah, so we're actually the number three non-dairy beverage uh, company in Europe. Uh, and we're only really penetrated in, uh, in a meaningful way in northwestern Europe. So we have plenty of countries to still go into. Uh, And we have been growing like crazy. I think our two year growth rate on non-dairy beverages is close to 20 percent. So a lot of our international story has been untold over the last couple of years because we were really focused on transforming and resurrecting the North America business. But now as a more global strategy going forward, you're going to see a lot of emphasis on these high growth categories. How about Tara?
3: Number one U.S. vegetable chip. They are delicious. You didn't have any money to support the brand. Uh, now PepsiCo is moving in, to lay I mean, can you stay on top? Because it was it was the car- only category, but you, there were so many other categories that you were trying to own. I feel like that others are coming in. Can you reestablish?
6: Because it is number one. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's a wonderful brand. Uh, candidly, some of the things that happened during the pandemic made some, of, uh, some supply challenges on that business uh, that we have worked our way through. And so now we're returning on the support. We've done product improvement there uh, to improve the, the product quality and reduce the breakage. And like you say, it is the number one brand in the category. If you're going to eat salty snacks, you might as well eat something that is 100% vegetables, that tastes absolutely delicious, and we're really excited about the future of Terra.
3: All right, one last question, Mark. The, I know you have some brands. If you worked at those brands, you're not going to like what I have to ask, but are those brands worth anything, or are they just brands that you're trying to bleed out of and not get hurt?
6: Well, so the good news is, unlike when I started here, about a third of the brands were losing money. Every brand in the portfolio makes money. So um, there are brands, certainly, that are subscale or where we have you know the number five share position – that probably aren't going to get investment in our our portfolio relative to some of the bigger opportunities we've talked about. So I think over time, we will divest them. But given that they are profitable, um, we're not going to give them away, right? They make money. I want to make sure that the decisions we make are creative to shareholders. And if that means they they slowly fade out over time, that's okay. The good news is it's only about 7% of our portfolio at this point, whereas Three years ago, it was almost 30% of our right. portfolio. The, well, the growth brands are really going to drive the album. Well, look, forward. I
3: think you have a better story than almost every other consumer back. It's good company because you've got the wind at your back, and it's finally understandable. I never really understood it. I was always just trying to be nice. All right. I want to thank so much <laughs> Mark Schiller, the turnaround president and CEO of Hain Celestial, which is such a better company. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on Bad Money.
6: I appreciate it, Jim.
3: Take care. Everybody's
5: back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next.
3: It is time. Son 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 son. My so, set. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Skiing dead. It's the lightning round. We're going to with Brian in California. Brian. Boo bo Jim. Wow, I like that. It's a wait, wait to start the lighting round. What's going on? I'm calling in about a stock that I don't think has got enough attention. It, it was profitable when it
1: IPO'd in May. It's direct-to-consumer. Founder-led. When I go to work in the ER... If nine out of ten people are wearing it, I'm calling in about the Lululemon of healthcare apparel, FIGS, F-I-G-S.
3: I think it's kind of interesting to tell you the truth. I think it's just kind of an interesting idea. It's a little quirky, but so is Crocs. I'll go for it in the same way I went for Crocs. Let's go to uh, Derenzio in Maryland. Derenzio.
1: Jim, it's Darenzo. Greetings from Derenzio. Sorry Thank about that mispronunciation. Sir. How are you? No worries. How are you doing? Well, listen, big shout out to my girls, Emmy and Lily, who love your show. Jim, I want to get your thoughts on ticker INDI. Uh,
3: and I like that. It's an automobile semi, but I have to tell you, I'm going to see that and tell you that I think on semi is even better. That's the one you should be. At. Let's go to Brain. It might be Brian. Brain in New York Brain. Jimmy Chill, MP Materials has held up pretty well since
1: deep backing. What do we think on MP?
3: You know, look, people, want to, people desperately want a rare earth play. It is the rare earth play that that is kind of a diamond in the rough. It's still got It's got some great facilities. I've from previous uh, management, but it still needs to do more. It needs to be able to get away from China. Let's go to Matthew in Ohio. Matthew. Booyah, Jimmy Chael. Booyah. My question is about Veritas VRTD. I bought this at about $12 a share today. It closed at 102 I think it's going to continue to go higher. The company has a new CEO. It seems like it's turning things around. Thanks for taking my call. You know, it is. It's good. I, I like it more than international paper. I mean, I, I, it's a good packaging company. Without, uh, now, it's had a very, very big run. It's up 400%. So let's be careful. But it's a good company. Let's go to Paul in Florida. Paul. Hey, Jim, booyah to you. Booyah. Hey,
5: anyway, well, i got a question <laughs> in reference to App Harvest, A-P-P-H.
3: I burned so many younger people, and I had them on. I mean, it was just a feel-good story. Uh, but it's a lesson. It's actually a learning lesson for me that just because it's a feel-good story doesn't mean it can't go down 65% and gaff a lot of people. And that's exactly what it did, because it may not be as viable as I thought. Let's go to Kevin in Illinois. Kevin.
1: Hey, in the great city of Chicago. Love you, Jim. Oh, um, man, I want to know fantastic. your opinion on an e-commerce startup. Or it's not a startup. It's a new company, V-T-E-X. V-T-E-X.
3: I don't know that. I don't. I don't know BTEX. Uh, no, I gotta learn more about them. Maybe it's uh, the next Amazon. Maybe it's the next uh, Alibaba. Can't really tell. Let's go to Dave in New York. Dave.
1: Hi, Jim. Longtime viewer, first time caller. Thank
3: you. Uh,
4: uh, XL Fleet. Uh, not your fault that we bought in. We
3: make it, our own decisions. You know, I had them on once again. Let's take that purpose. I had them on. Um, did I savage them and, and, and make them uh, bleed? No. I told, Adam told the story. I so said the story sounded okay. It, it wasn't okay. And it's hurt a lot of people. Again, so let's, let's beat these in my head. App Harvest and XL Fleet were two that I had them on. I should have said, you know what, guys? I don't think you have it. And I didn't. Let's go to Robert in Texas, please. Robert.
4: Hi, Robert.
1: Hi, James. <laughs> Robert here from Dallas, Texas. I got ticker symbol CE here. I've been holding since 146
3: See, price price is going up and up and up. And I got to tell you, my friend, uh, geez, I tell you, I saw a really good piece by Frank Mitch from Furman the other day. That's a winner. And it's still very inexpensive. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up... Will the Zoom boom yield secular space to a restless rabble of jet setters? Kramer's got the answer. Next.
3: Ever since the pandemic got rolling, the stay at home stocks and the going out stocks have been caught in some sort of claymation steel cage deathmatch. Call it a Beyond Thunderdome situation, but in an effort to stay current, let's say it's more like a squid game, and right now, the going-out cohort is winning. When COVID first broke out, everybody except the aerosol scientists assumed that planes were the most dangerous place to be other than cruise ships, although that turned out to be not true. Why? Because planes have such great filtration systems. Airline traffic did plummet, though. Routes were slashed. Thousands of workers were furloughed. Didn't help the governments around the world put all the kibosh on all sorts of international travel. Everybody was stuck at home, but out of nowhere, we discovered this incredibly easy-to-use service, Zoom, which made it possible to work from home while staying in contact with everyone. The free Zoom became insanely popular, so popular that it bled over to paid Zoom, and a star was born. In some cases, porn stars, but strictly by accident, from people who really should know better. Next thing you know, Zoom becomes a verb, and the company trades at 50-time sales. At the same time, the airline stocks collapse, understandably. United plunges from 80 to uh, 20. Over roughly the same period, Zoom goes from 70 to 160 and then to 560, uh, which at, at its peak, which, of course, was the peak of the pandemic. Now, though, United Airlines has more than doubled off its lows, while well, Zoom's been cut in half from its highs. So which horse do you back now? I think you've got to keep backing the going out one, which means you better on United Airlines, UAL. Why? Okay, first, we know international travel is making a comeback. United's winner. Got the most international airline that we got going here. Second, I think people really want to go somewhere. I know people are describing this period as a great resignation. You know what? I'm calling it the great reassessment. The workers who have resigned from their jobs seem to be in a little hurry to find better ones, even though they're widely available. We've gotten through a, the bulk of a murderous pandemic, one that's killed more Americans in the Civil War. And I think that's caused a major attitude adjustment. People have saved money. So now they want to travel after being cooped up for a year. I think the holiday season will be huge. And United CEO Scott Kirby said nothing to dissuade me from that in his excellent interview with Phil LeBone this morning. Of course, it's not going to be a total victory for the going out contingent either. Business travel may be coming back. Kirby thinks this happens in the first quarter of next year. But I doubt it comes back with a vengeance. Zoom's too efficient. Too good. Too much of a money saver. How about the stay at home contingent? What do you do uh, with with Zoom video? You know what? I did like that deal they did with Five9, the contact center software play. So it was very unfortunate, I thought, when it fell apart over price. Zoom still trades at 57 times, but now it's 57 times earnings, not sales. Pretty huge difference. I think the phenomenon that is Zoom should be here to stay. Long term, both United and Zoom, of course, can coexist. However, near term, Zoom needs a line extension to broaden out its pipe. You know what? I'd love to see them get into gaming, although it might be tough to break into that market. Or maybe gambling, watching a game on TV with friends and all sorts of places all over the the world, placing bets simultaneously while you watch. Oh, man, I just gave away a billion-dollar idea. If you can come up with some new lines of business, maybe the tables will turn. But for now, I'd much rather bet on the going-out stocks. I think United's got a lot more room to run here, whereas Zoom's still at least one acquisition away from turning around. Love the company. Love the product. The stock? Not yet. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.